starting point at the very front end of our 40-day spiritual campaign entitled Time to Dream. And we've been speaking about it for some weeks now. We've been preparing for several months, and we're now at the jumping off point. This is day one. And I'm thrilled that you're here this morning. And as we've said for the last few weeks, uh, make every effort to plan it in such a way that you can be here for the next six to seven Sundays, uh, that you get every message that is being brought around this concept of time to dream, and that you connect into a small group uh, and be there every week as much as possible. And, you know, if somehow, you know, work demands that you travel abroad and uh, miss one of those sessions that you catch up because all of these messages are all designed to leave us and to take us to a certain place where God wants us to be. So the campaign is entitled Time to Dream. And on the top of your outline there, it says Trusting God for Open Doors. And we'll be speaking along these lines uh, uh, starting very shortly. Let me just uh, say that in terms of a spiritual campaign, uh, we've now done several of those for the last 10 to 15 years. And some of you have been part of those campaigns and others of you, uh, you're not really quite sure what that means. And so let me give you a definition of what our spiritual campaigns look like. And again, it's in your outline, but it says that our spiritual growth campaigns Uh, is or they are a concentrated 40-day spiritual boost to your life that we commit to doing together using multiple learning styles to equip and to energize us for the future. And friends, it's all about the future. How do you know the dreams? You know, it's one thing to dream about the past, but you know, you can't change the past. But God wants us to dream about the future. God wants us to forge ahead courageously into a better future that he's prepared for us. And so here is a definition, and uh, it is a spiritual growth campaign. We might say it's a spiritual growth opportunity. If you really take to it, if you take to it half-heartedly, it'll somehow fizzle away and not really do what it is designed to do. I would encourage you to fully get on board. Um, And somebody said, well, why is it 40 days? Um, Why is it not 30 days? Why is it not 60 days? And by the way, these concepts and these understandings, they come from Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California. I had an opportunity to visit there last year, and wow, what an amazing environment. And here's the deal. Uh, It takes about six weeks to develop new habits. You know, our spiritual life and our disciplines are all made up of certain habits that we repeat over and over and over. And if that's what we do, we will grow spiritually. And if we, if we drop the habits and we slacken off, it means that our spiritual growth stalls. And if we do that too long, there could be a regressing. The Bible calls it backsliding. But God does not want us to backslide. He wants us to move forward. And so that's what we're doing over the next 40 days to position us for this year to start new habits at the beginning of the year and to keep them going all year. And uh, really, it's not rocket science. It's not very complicated. But as we've said, it takes about six weeks to develop a habit. Uh, I learned many, many years ago just a little concept that it takes a minimum of 25 days to change a thought pattern. Uh, to effectively say that I've bounced out of whatever I was in. And back then, and I'm talking in my early 20s, uh, my late teens, there was something going on in my head that wasn't healthy and that wasn't good. And I heard that little, that little concept that it takes 25 days. So if I focus for a minimum of 25 days to change my thought pattern, 
then there's new pathways, new neural pathways that are created. And suddenly what I was in, I'm out of it now, and I'm on a new path. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take us on a new path. It speaks here about a concentrated 40-day spiritual boost. Like God wants us to give us a spiritual injection, a spiritual boost that will thrust us forward. Uh, and you know, it's been said that we grow in spirits. Um, our spiritual growth is not the same every day, every week. Much of it depends on the habits that we practice, the spiritual growth habits. So it's been said that we grow in spirits. You see, even nature teaches us that there are growth seasons. You know, we talk about the four seasons of spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And in spring, things spring away. And then in summer, things ripen. And sometimes in summer, the growth slows down. The growth is really fast in springtime. And then it slows down a little bit in summertime. And in autumn time, when, when growth sort of uh, starts to fade away, things ripen. And then we harvest whatever we have been growing. And then comes wintertime. And wintertime is typically a dormant sort of a time. And depending on where you live on God's beautiful planet, in some places, nothing grows in wintertime. New Zealand's not too bad. A few things still grow, but, but uh, that's the whole. See, nature teaches us that we grow in spirits. God wants to bring us into a fresh spring during this campaign. 40 days, lush growth. Gosh, uh, for me personally, I love springtime, but when I do the lawns at home, I don't enjoy it because, boy, the lawns spring away. And uh, not only does the grass grow high, but it grows very thick. And then come, you know, summertime and things get a bit dry. And then autumn, all you get is stalks. Uh, so, as I said, nature teaches us that there's spirits uh, where we grow. And then other times things slow down a little bit. God wants to bring us at the very beginning of a growth spirit. And it goes on to say here, and we're still giving definition to the spiritual growth campaign. It says it is a 40-day spiritual boost to your life that we commit to doing together. Circle the word commit if you've got a pen in your hand and you haven't got a pen, use a pencil. Otherwise, get your crayons out and make a great big mark around the word commit. You know what? Each time you make a commitment, we grow. And each time we slacken off from a commitment, we stop growing. Growth is all about commit, commitments that we make. We, we, when we make a commitment, we grow in character. When we make a commitment, we grow spiritually. And when we don't make commitments, uh, we just sit there stagnantly. And really, God wants us to commit to this deal and to move forward together. And that's the deal here. What we commit to doing together, circle the word together. And very shortly, we'll look at a couple of verses of Scripture that will describe what we're discussing here at the front end of this message, at the front end of this campaign. But when we do things together... It's more powerful than when we do things individually. You know, it's been said that people that, have, uh, that get into some sort of a discipline, some sort of a sport that only involves themselves, they need to be highly disciplined people because they haven't got anybody egging them on, so to speak. But, you know, Christianity is a team sport, absolutely a team sport. And, you know, when our kids got involved in sport, in team sport, and, oh, I don't feel like going to practice today, we said, no, you're going, because otherwise you're letting down the team. And I don't want to play the game today. No, you're playing today, because otherwise you're letting down the team. So, friend, let's play the game for the next 40 days, and then beyond, otherwise you're letting down the team. The team needs you, and you need the team. All right, we do this 
together, okay? And then it says using multiple learning styles, and we're still giving definition to the term spiritual growth campaign. Uh, praise God. I don't know what's just happened, but I just faded out. Praise God. All right, is that one working? Yes, it is. All right, multiple learning styles. Let me just adjust this thing so that it all suits. Can everybody hear me okay? All right, here we go. Multiple learning styles. You know, there are the four basic learning styles, but sometimes they're called VARK, V-A-R-K. And that speaks about the four styles of number one, visual, number two, auditory, number three, reading, or for that matter, writing, and number four, kinesthetic. And what that means is that not everybody is motivated exactly the same when it comes to learning. Some people are visual creatures. They learn by seeing pictures and graphs and seeing things drawn up and and, and laid out before them. Others are auditory learners. They learn by listening and by just somebody speaking. And sometimes they speak it themselves and they learn it better. Whereas other people are the more, the more what we call the, 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 the reading and writing type people. They're the sorts of people that keep a journal. They write everything down because that's how they learn. That's how they remember. And then you get the kinesthetic people, which is the people that want to get their hands on it. They want to do things. Praise God. And what that means is that we are going to employ all four learning styles so that it suits everybody. And together, every single one of us will grow over the next 40 days. So really, when it speaks about the multiple learning styles to equip and energize us for our future, what that means is that God wants to prepare, equip, and energize us for the future that He has prepared for us. And it's a good future. It's an exciting future. And God's future is better than our own future. And very shortly, in fact, let me swing uh, into the first scripture passage here for this morning in 1 Corinthians. We all good? Thanks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 37, this is in the New Century Version. It says, together you are the body of Christ, and each one is a part of that body. And again, here we have the word together. We, we are moving forward together. All right? The key word is together. Together we are the body of Christ. Uh, individually, we are only members of the body, but when we join together, we are the body. So what that means is I'm not the body of Christ You are not the body of Christ, but together we are the body of Christ, and individually we are members of it. You know, somebody said once, it's a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. When you first pour it out the box and you put all the pieces together, and then you've got the whole picture there, and then sometimes you pack it away again, bring it out again, and it's possible to lose a few pieces. And you know what tends to happen is when a few pieces are missing, you still put the picture together, and people look at it, and guess what they notice? They notice the missing pieces. So, friend, please don't be a missing piece for the next 40 days because God's looking and He's missing you. We are looking and we are missing you. All right? So, together we make up the pieces. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you received a spiritual gift. God has shown you His grace by giving you different gifts. So here is a truth that lets us know that everybody that's born again, everybody that's received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior has received spiritual gifts. 
And God wants us to use those spiritual gifts. God wants us to discover them and use them. And part of that 40-day campaign and beyond is to help us to grasp what our spiritual gifts are and to start using them. And it says, you're like servants who are responsible for using God's gift. So be good stewards and use your gifts to serve each other. You know, our spiritual gifts that God has given to us are not to serve ourselves, but they're here to serve each other. And if everybody's there, everybody's serving and everybody's being served. We're all interlinked together. We are called the body of Christ. My friend, we are the church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I want to roll out a few of those scriptures there to kind of uh, get the thread of where we're going. Uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, Ephesians, it says, God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us new people so that we will spend our lives doing the good things that he's already planned for us to do. That speaks about the fact that when we are born again, we are made brand new creatures. Is it 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? That's not in the outline. But it says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And then it says, the old has passed away and the new has come. And once we're a new creation, it tells us here that God wants us to spend our lives doing the things that he's already prepared for us. The things that God has already mapped out for us. God doesn't want us to spend two days doing what he's planned for us. Not 16 days, but God wants us to spend the rest of our lives doing what he's planned for us. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God's got a dream. And actually, God has pre-planned our lives. And once we are born again, he helps us to connect with this plan so that we can live it out. God's plan, God's purpose, God's dream. God had a dream about you and about me. And he dreamed about us before we were even born. It's utterly amazing. God says to Jeremiah when he was a young man and God called him, he says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, God said. And he says, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. And God's called you to achieve a certain function, to achieve a certain goal, to fulfill a certain dream. And very shortly, I'll be speaking about dreams and, and what that looks like. And I might share part of my own journey, part of my own uh, my own. Uh, uh, I guess my own testimony. Now looking back, uh, you know, it's easy now to look back and to kind of, kind of reconcile things and to put things together. Sometimes when we look forward, we're not always quite sure. But as I look back today, I can utterly see that God's placed a dream into my heart and it is being unfolded even as we speak. And aspects of it uh, where God had... Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But let me just first of all talk about a dream and give definition to the word dream. So we're making, making sure that we're all on the same page, so to speak. What is a dream? Well, there's three different uh, types of dreams that we're talking about. The first one, letter A, and it's in your outline. A dream can be the thoughts and the images that you have while sleeping. Okay, so obviously everybody's familiar with that. Most people dream dreams. Occasionally I meet somebody and say, look, I never dream anything. Well, the reality is everybody dreams, but not everybody can remember the dream in the morning. 
And sometimes when I've dreamed dreams and it was a good one and I try and think, what was that again? That was a really good dream. I'm trying to get back to it. So that's one uh, definition of dreaming. It's dreaming while we sleep. Then secondly, or let it be, a dream could be the desires and ambitions that you have while you're awake. Sometimes we use the term daydreaming. You know, we sit there with our eyes open and we dream about things, good things. We dream about the future. And friend, by the way, it's better to think about the future than about the past. I said before, you can't change the past. You can only reconcile it, settle it, and move forward into the future dream that God has for you. So desires, ambitions that you have while you're awake. And number three, the third area of dreams is the, the, is the goals, the plans, and the purposes that God created you to fulfill. And when we are talking about this 40-day campaign, and when we are with the title of it where it says it's time to dream, that's really the type of dream that we are talking about, God's dream for us. God wants to impress his dream on our hearts, and aspects of it are already there. Aspects are already stirring, and we want to let this thing unfold and uh, move into God's dream for our lives. That's where the blessings are. That's where happiness comes from. That's where true fulfillment comes from. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future. Circle the word future. These are future are dreams for the future. He says, uh, They're plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And by the way, hopes are also future. And it's no good hoping that the past will be different. That, that's not a hope. <laughs> you can't change the past. You can only look forward into the future. So what a fantastic scripture. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the dreams that I have for you. As God knew about Jeremiah, so God knows about you. When Moses began to dialogue with God and, and, uh, and, and God instructed Moses to lead the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, on into the promised land. And as they were getting ready and Moses is still wrestling with the call and the things that God has placed into his heart when he spoke to him at the burning bush experience. And Moses says, God, uh, he says, uh, uh, you, you told me that you know me, that you know me by name but I'm not quite sure about some of these other things. And from that, we know that God knows us by name. God knows where we live. God knows who we are. You're not a stranger to God. Now, God may be a stranger to you at this point, depending on where you are in your journey, but God knows all about you. God tells us, that even knows the very number of hair on our head. And I've said this before, for some of us, it's easier for God to count than for others because there's not, not that much to count, but that's all besides the point. God absolutely knows everything. He knows your past and he knows your future, which is there in potential. And God knows the future if you decide to follow your own dreams and your own ambitions. God knows about that too. That's why God wants us to see in on that third definition of that uh, word dream there, where we're embracing God's plan, God's purposes, and God's pursuits for our lives. I'd really encourage you with that. Can I 
read that next line here. And again, it's in your outline. That God's dream for your life are far bigger and better than your own dream. As I was just preparing for this message here and just say much of the truths and the concept we adopt from, uh, you know, from the Pastor Rick Warren, as I said, the concept of, a, of a, what do you call it, of the actual campaign and the messages and what's coming in the small groups. There will be six, seven segments, uh, video segments that Pastor Rick will teach in our small group environment. That's why it's important that you're there to get the full deal. But as I've been thinking along these lines and sort of pondering, I sort of looked over my own life and uh, the fact that I was born and raised in Austria, uh, in Central Europe, and I've been in New Zealand for the last 40-odd years. I mean, how did that happen? What, what happened here? Sometimes you think just because you're born and raised in one place doesn't mean that God necessarily requires you to stay there. But one thing that was stirring very early on in my heart was that I had a desire to travel. Even as a young boy, I had a desire to see new places, meet new people, and experience new cultures. And looking back today... This was even before I was saved. I mean, I was in a kind of a church environment, but to this day, I'm unclear if I was actually truly born again or if I was just caught up in some religious activity, which is what sometimes happens. And I know that God has imparted that dream into my life because God knew me before I was even born. And God knew me that he needed me to be in one specific place in the nation of New Zealand and specifically in the Wellington region and specifically in Lower Hutt. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that I'm smack bang in the center of God's will. But if I had stayed where I was, I would be out of God's will. And this is the amazing thing. That God puts a dream into people's hearts, sometimes even before they're born again. And God put dream into people's hearts that were absolute like idol worshippers and everything. And somehow God used them to bring about his purposes. But when we get born again and that dream that's there, we overlay that with God's dream. And there's an aspect of it. A little bit reminds me of uh, primary school, you know, where you get the, the, the kids to give them a blank page and you get them to draw around, uh, you, know, the, you know, the hand. And then you give them scissors that are hopefully not too sharp. And then you get them to trace the whole thing. And friend, I would encourage you with this. Take your dreams. Some of those are God dreams. Others of you is excesses that needs to be cut away. And take your dream and overlay over it God's dream and whatever sticks out and sticks away any excesses you cut away from your life. They will lead to not a good life, to not a good future. And as I say, if my dream that I had in my heart to travel would have not been chopped away and aspects of it cut off, uh, I would not have ended up in the right place. I was just looking back. Uh, just looking back. A friend... A friend of mine and myself, we left Austria together uh, and began to travel. We visited a couple of places in Europe. Uh, um, specifically, I spent probably about a year and a half in Holland, in the Netherlands. And uh, while I was there, uh, I felt a stirring. I thought, I need to go somewhere else. And he said, well, I'm staying. I said, well, no worries. I'll, I'll you know, park company and I'll shot across to the Channel Islands. Uh, some of you are familiar with the group of islands that between, you know, England and, and France, and I was there for a bit, and God specifically needed me there, and there was a specific reason for that. But here's the deal. When my friend and I talked about going abroad, uh, and this is about in the mid-70s, 
we looked at different places, and uh, somehow I had a bit of a sense of thinking, gosh, I would really like to go to South America. That somehow seems like a good thing to me. And I was going to go to Venezuela, out of all places. Now, I'm thinking back now, Venezuela is a failed state. I mean, it's, I mean socialism has destroyed that country. It's just a disaster. If anybody watches uh, you know, world news, it's just a real problem. If I had it ended up over there, would have not been a good future for me. When I left school, there was a man in our town that uh, he probably left school when I got into school, so he probably was some 10, 12, 15 years older than me. And after I left school and I finished my apprenticeship and I was trained to work in hotels and restaurants and in the whole catering environment and, and the whole catering world. Uh, um, and uh, I had a chat to this guy because I knew he traveled and he was working for uh, an Austrian company that had uh, international interests in different places. And he talked about Africa and I thought, that seems good to me. Why don't I go to Africa? And I was uh, kind of talking to him and I said, look, can you hook me up with... with People that, you know, that I can talk to you about maybe getting a job in some of these places. But the amazing thing is that, they, that door never opened up to me. You know, we're talking about God's opened a door. And very shortly we'll get into some of those scriptures. And I'm not suggesting that the method of open and closed doors is in itself an entirely foolproof method of being led by the Spirit. But God does use open and closed doors. So I never went to Africa. Since been there, I visited Lovely to visit there. Would I like to live there? Probably not. All right. And then I had a real desire, as I said, wanted to go to Venezuela. So I somehow scratched together a couple of places where I was able to write to Venezuela back then. It was a very rich country. It's still a, an oil-rich country, but as I say, society and economy is just absolutely shot to pieces. Uh, so I wrote there. I tried to get a job there. It just, that door just never opened up. And then my friend and I said, why don't we go to the Middle East? There's a place down there called Beirut. Um, and Beirut, I believe, if I have my understanding correct, it's the capital of Lebanon. I was going to go to Lebanon. Now, if anybody knows anything about Lebanon today, it's a very sad story. It's another failed state. It's just a disaster. If I had gone there, if I had my own will, as I say, if God had not sort of chopped away some of those things, it would be an absolute disaster because God tried to maneuver me and uh, to ease me this way and to ease me that way. And then part of me choosing the profession that I chose was that I had plans to end up working on passenger ships, to travel around the world, be on the go all the time. Uh, I don't know where I got that gypsy thing in me, but somehow, like, my father's not like that. My mother's not necessarily like that. I mean, they talked about wanting to have traveled a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, I was going to work on passenger ships. So again, I scratched a few addresses together of shipping lines, and I wrote uh, to them, and I applied for a job, and that door just never opened up to me. And I made a real effort, like I really, really tried. I said to my friends, I we're going to go on a passenger ship. And, you know, this was before the days of the Internet. You couldn't just Google and pull up addresses and email. I mean, I had to do, you know, research where I can scratch these things together. The door just never opened up to me. Uh, why did it never open up to me? God didn't want me there. You know, people that have gotten into that lifestyle of traveling around all the time. It's been said that once somebody has been on a ship traveling around the world for more than 10 years, they're no good for ordinary life anymore. 
Because once they've got that in them, they just want to keep going. And that's what I had in me. I just wanted to keep going. For me, to, to, the difference from keep going to settle down was a real big transition. And I'm just telling you all of that because I believe that God's placed a dream into every heart. Saved to unsaved. Born again or not born again. The Bible says that God's placed eternity in every heart. And so the door to work on ships never did open up. When we talked about Beirut, 1975, the civil war started in Beirut. My friend and I talked about it. He said, we don't care. We're going there anyway. <laughs> and we joked about it. He says, look, if the bombs fall, we just duck, and then we get up and we carry on working. You know, when you're young, 20, 21 years, 8, 19, whatever we were at the time, you know, you just have no comprehension of danger and places that you should be at and places that you shouldn't be at. And I was absolutely going to go for it. Now, I'm really glad that God did not open that door for us. Really, really glad. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sort of uh, impress you with any story other than to share my story so that you can identify with that because you've got a story to tell as well. You've got certain things that are stirring in you. God's maneuvered you as well. So I said I was there in, in Holland together with my friend, and, and, and I said, look, I says, I, in fact, we came across this uh, catering hotel newspaper where they were advertising jobs all around the world. Um, that was a physical publication. I'm assuming today it's probably available online, but back then it was a physical, like a newspaper. There's all of these places that were advertising. Gosh, let's go here, let's go there, let's do this thing. Um, anyway, I ended up on, uh, on Guernsey, on the Channel Island, and sometimes when I look back, it's, why did I go there? I met a man in Guernsey, an Austrian man that had also left the country, and he's never gone back, he was just, but he stayed within Europe. And this man had been to New Zealand, and he talked to me about New Zealand. And my heart was like really stirred about New Zealand. I thought, I'm going to go to New Zealand. <laughs> Did I know where it was? I had no idea. <laughs> you know, sometimes. It is. All right, we're back again. <laughs> Did I know where it was? No, I didn't know. In fact, before I started to do research, I thought, New Zealand, that's probably close to Newfoundland somewhere. <laughs> well, of course, Newfoundland is off the coast of Canada, we know. And then uh, I'm thinking, New? Um, funny thing was, I was actually in Zealand, uh, in, in Holland, and I ended up in New Zealand. That's an interesting connection there. But anyway, I was really stirred. And uh, so I, said to, I went back to Holland. I said to my friend, I said, we're going to New Zealand. He says, yeah, let's go. So... Um, this man that I'd worked with there in, in, in Guernsey had given me the addresses of a head office of a group of hotels here in New Zealand. Back then, it used to be called THC, Tourist Hotel Corporation, I and mean, they've since been disbanded. Um, giving me the address, head office here in Wellington, uh, and I wrote, I said, look, we are two qualified chefs, we want to come to New Zealand, do you have any job offers for us? Um, and within a couple of weeks, they wrote back to say, no, sorry, no jobs here. And uh, I said, this is interesting. I really wanted to go to New Zealand. Now that door closes. So anyway, so we looked around. And in the meantime, we're working. You know, we're, we're okay, but we're looking. We, we're going to go to other places. And then I opened up that newspaper again a couple of months later, three, four months. I forget the specific timing. And I read through it and uh, looked at job offers that were there. And I, 
a word it sort of jumped out. It's New Zealand. And it's the same company that turned us down a few months ago. Now they're looking for people. I says, we are going to New Zealand after all. <laughs> so uh, I applied based on the strength of that uh, job offer that was there. And they accepted us. And we came to New Zealand uh, in January of 1979. And uh, in the middle of all of that, I look back now and I see God's maneuvering. The dream that God had placed into my heart, and boy, that needed a bit of trimming off, let me tell you. That needed to be cut around. The excesses are just going to be all over the place, and God had to chop all of that away and just trim it all down and overlaying God's dream over my dream and my own ambitions and, and then let go. You know, in the old days, the Pentecostals used to say, lay your own dream on the altar. And then... Whatever part of that God wants you to fulfill, he will bring it back again, but all the other things are gone. And in the meantime, you know, in the ministry, God's taken us to some places. We've been to different places, not that we go anywhere sightseeing as such, you know, just doing ministry here and there, but you, you know, you see and you experience new cultures, and uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a reasonably adaptable sort of a character. I can fit in and out of cultures anywhere, really, uh, and... Uh, different people and, and so forth. And as I say, I look back and I see God's plan and God's purpose for my life. It's time to dream. It started when I grew up in, in, in Austria there and in my parents' home, which is down in the valley. Um, and, uh, you know, to the, to the east and to the west it runs the valley. To the south, there's a great big hill uh, where you go up into town. And behind me is another great big hill the direction of where the village is. And I remember as a little guy walking up on that big hill there and looking into the distance. And you're, you're talking hill country, rolling hills. And on a good day, when the air is clear, you can see some distance. And I looked at the last hill, and I've always wondered. I thought, I wonder what's beyond that last hill. And so as soon as I get there, I'm still looking. I wonder what's beyond the next hill. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see the, 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 the spaces in, in the middle. And, you know, sometimes when God gives us prophetic insight, sometimes we only see the mountaintops. We don't see the valleys. You know, a typical picture that somebody might draw of a landscape with three rows of hills, hills in the front, hills in the middle, and then mountains in the back. And, and, and usually you see that the hills in the front are sort of quite vividly drawn, the ones in the middle are a bit hazier, and then the one in the real distance are a bit more hazy, but there's only mountaintops. And sometimes prophetic insight, when you look forward, you only see the mountaintops. We don't see the valleys, but when we start traveling, we climb up the hill and say, oh, we need to go down here to get to the next hill. It's a little bit downwards, and then it's back up again. You might be in the middle of a valley right now. God wants to bring you out over the next 40 days. He wants to bring you to your mountaintop. God wants to connect you with the prophetic dream that he's got for you. I'm only telling my story to stir up your story in your own heart. Because you know that God has maneuvered you. You know that God has, it's like, it's just interesting how that works. And so Vanessa and I, uh, in fact, uh, here you go. Here's a thought. If I hadn't come to New Zealand, how would I have ever met this beautiful wife of mine? Uh, how would that have ever happened? So, you know, and, uh, and, and so here we are in the South Island together. And uh, God's earmarked us for the ministry. God set us apart for a specific function, a specific task. But we are, we are sort of on our way. And we're down in Wanaka where we got married. And uh, we kind of felt like oh, it's time to finish here. It's time to travel north. We didn't know specifics. We just knew north. 
And uh, <laughs> one day, I thought it's time to clear up a little bit. So when we move out, uh, we used to have a, uh, a utility vehicle in those days. Everything we owned fit into the back of a ute. My life was easy back then. It's wonderful when God gives you stuff, but once you got stuff, you got to look after it. You got to maintain it. You know what we're talking about. And so anyway, everything fit inside the ute. So I went to the to the rubbish dump and I ditched a whole lot of stuff. And I'm looking down, and there's a couple of publications there. One of them is a little dictionary. Um, it's uh, it, it's English French. And I pick it up, I thought, this is interesting. This might come in handy one day, and I put it in my pocket. And then I found another little, like a tract, and it had an arrow pointing up, and it said north. And I came home, I says to Vanessa, I says, guess what? I just found two things, and I think they're really significant. I believe God wants us to go north, and I believe that this dictionary has got something to do with it. <laughs> well, out of it, we ended up in Wellington. I ended up working at the French embassy for four years, and... Uh, you know, I mean, I'm just piecing things together now. It didn't all make sense. All I saw was the mountaintops. Uh, I didn't see the valleys and the, the tough times and in, in the middle of it all, two words. Uh, but God brought us here. And uh, we stopped uh, staying with a friend of ours in the city there. And uh, I know I'm using up more time than what I should, but I think this is important. It'll, it'll help to stir the dream in your heart. And we said, well, we're just passing through. And our friend said, okay, that's interesting because there's a couple of jobs going here that uh, the very jobs that we ended up working at for four years. In fact, there was two jobs. And while we fluffed around, uh, it took us uh, two, three weeks to sort of realize that this was actually God speaking to us because we were headed north. We were just going to keep moving. But as we were praying about this thing and asking God for further direction, no further direction came. <laughs> and uh, so, well, it looks like we're staying here. Uh, so we did. At that stage, when I got the job, the job that God had earmarked for Vanessa was gone because we fluffed around. You know, sometimes when God opens a door for you and you fluff around, there's opportunities that disappear uh, that are just not there. I mean, we still stayed here, and we did okay, but we could have done better. Um, and uh, sometimes people say, well, God did not want us to have this or that or the other. No, God wants you to have everything. All right, God wants you to have everything. So anyway, so in this place, uh, it enabled us. We had to detox a little bit from hotel life. Not, not good places to work in, not good places. Uh, so we had to detox from that. It gave us the opportunity to go to Bible college to train for the ministry. And then uh, in January of 1989, we planted the church right here. As I say, I'm absolutely convinced. I know I'm, we are smack bang in the center of God's will. And that's God maneuvering us. God placed a dream into our heart. And God then overlaid it with the dream because with the dream that God had placed me there, it was vague and we had to cut away the excesses um, and to absolutely make sure that God is able to do what he wants to do. So again, picking up in your outline, God's dream for your life is far bigger and better than your own dream. Lay your own dream on the altar and let the fire of God go through it and then see what's left afterwards. And what's left, God wants you to pick it up again. But the rest of it, abandon it. Ephesians 3 verse 20 in the message translation. It says, God can do anything far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request or dream. In your wildest dreams, he does it not by pushing us around, but by working gently within us. And I've never felt pushed around by God. 
Never. But I felt confronted a few times by God, like God confronted. God, God says, I've spoken to you. I told you what I want you to do. And God's speaking emphatically, but God never pushed me around. You know, in the, is it in the book of Isaiah where it says that he leads us with his eyes? In order for us to know the leading of the Lord, we need to look to God. How you know that us uh, who are parents or grandparents, you know, we lead our kids with our eyes. They know the look. We look at the kids and they know the look. And, uh, and God's like that when we look to God and God says, no, that's not what we're going to do. Do this. Do that. When you follow God's dream, he arranges the circumstances. I'm so grateful that some doors that I knocked on in my life, in my journey, that they never opened for me. I would have somehow ended up in a different place. And sometimes when somebody follows one of their own doors and, and forces it open, sometimes it takes people a while to come back to it again. Because God hasn't given up at that point. God still maneuvers us. It's a little bit like, you know, running a GPS unit uh, in your vehicle when you, you miss a turn off and you keep going or you turn off too early. You know, in the old days, you used to say, redirect, redirect. You know, a bit annoying. Nowadays, everything happens quietly and just redirects you and recalculates. And maybe some of you are on a recalculation route. But let me tell you, the end goal is still what God had in mind in the very beginning. That's how God works. He gently works within us. God gives us his dream for our lives, and then he works in our heart and in our circumstances by opening doors of opportunities before us. Revelation 3.8, and really this whole campaign and the concept of it is largely uh, kind of derived from this verse of Scripture here, where God says, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. So we have an open door before us, we have a door of opportunity to grow. No man can shut it. But if peradventure some people don't want to walk through it, then they're not going to step into everything that God has for them. So friend, don't stand at the threshold and stare at the door. Try to figure it all out and try to figure out how the door is made and where it all leads to. If God puts a door of opportunity before you, step into it. Don't be shy. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 Again, in the message translation, a huge door of opportunity for good work has opened up here. And there's also mushrooming opposition. So here's Paul the Apostle, and he's speaking that in his travels, he got launched out into ministry from Antioch. And uh, then he launched out and he began to travel, and he traveled with Barnabas and various other people that joined them, a real evangelistic association, traveling from place to place, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And of course, Paul went, and then he planted churches, moved on, and then he came around again to encourage them. He had several missionary journeys to travel around this area there in the Middle East, traveling north into Turkey and across into Greece and Macedonia and that whole area there, and ended up in Rome out of all places. And it's interesting to watch Paul's life. And Paul tried to go into Asia. And the Bible says that when Paul slept, he had a dream. And he dreamed of a man over in Macedonia. And that man said to Paul, come over here and help us. Paul tried to go east. But God directed him through a dream to go west. If we are sensitive, our direction can change drastically. And then he tried to go into another place, uh, 
my memory serves me correctly, it might have been Troyes, a town or a city called Troyes. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit forbade them. Don't go in there. You're going to get more fruit over here. Sometimes we try to understand the reasoning as to why the Holy Spirit says, don't do this, don't do that. But it simply means it does not fit into the plan and into the purpose that God's determined for us. A couple of times I had sort of opportunity to minister in some places, and I just had no sense in my heart, no witness that this is a place or for that matter a country that I should go to. In other places, we have a real witness there. God leads us. God guides us. He says there's also mushrooming opposition. So for all the fruit that Paul had in his ministry, boy, he had plenty of opposition. And sometimes people say, oh gosh, this is so hard going. Maybe this is not God's will. Not necessarily. Sometimes it involves persecution where we're going, and there's opposition. But you know, at the front end, when we're standing at the beginning of a 40-day growth opportunity called our 40-day spiritual campaign, the opposition could be coming from our own mind. Oh, I'm not sure if I want to get involved. This is going to stretch me. Well, yes, it will. Oh, this is going to get me outside my comfort zone. Yes, it probably will. But that's where we grow. We grow outside of our comfort zone when we're a little stretched. Everybody go like this. This is helping some of you that are kinesthetic learners. Let's act it out. (laughs) A huge door of opportunity. Earlier on this year, I preached about, I believe, a prophetic word that God had determined that the year 2020 should be a year of plenty, but it's conditional. I believe this is part of the conditions where we joining together to move on. We are positioning ourselves for growth, for increase. There are 12 reasons why we must know God's dream for our lives. 12 reasons. I want to run through them very quickly. I used up quite a bit of time um, talking about myself before. Not really something that I enjoy doing, but there you go. I hope it helped you. Number one, God gave me the capacity to dream. Twelve reasons. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. And this is the deal, friend, that God dreams and we dream. God dreams the future and then he established it, the future. God dreamed about a planet. God dreamed about a universe. And then God dreamed about placing you into that universe on a planet called Earth. So again, besides God, we are the only being that can dream dreams and determine our own future. It's been said that animals can't dream dreams about the future and determine their own future, though they can dream dreams. I know when our our beautiful dog was still alive, uh, I knew he was dreaming because he's sitting there and then he starts in his sleep, he starts barking and then the legs start twitching and he's having a dream. I saw this clip one day on YouTube. It's probably still there. Here's this dog lying in a lounge, somebody's lounge, and they filmed him. This dog is lying down on the side, and his legs are going flat out. He's running. For all we know, he might be chasing a rabbit. And boy, he's going flat out, flat out, flat out. The next minute, he jumped to his feet, and his legs are still going, and he bounced into the wall. And at that point, he woke up. Uh, So we never know what he dreamed about. We never know. 
but I enjoyed it. I was really, I was really having a good time watching that clip. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, <laughs> that only God and you and me have got the capacity to dream and to determine our own future. Our capacity to dream about our future is a God-given gift. The trouble is that many times people dream dreams and they launch out and it doesn't come to pass and they get discouraged. And then they launch out again and they get discouraged because it doesn't happen. And the third time, I'll give up dreaming. A friend, you need to dream a fresh dream. We need to dream fresh dreams. Number two, one of the 12 reasons why it's important for us to uh, know God's dream for our life is, number two, without a dream, I'm dying. You know, it's been said that a, a person that doesn't dream lives a careless life and quite a hopeless life as well. Because a dream and a hope are really very much, in practical terms, the same thing. It's headed on into the future. Something that we see that has not yet materialized. It's in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know, a dreamless life leads to careless living and to hopelessness. One translation says, where there is no vision, the people live carelessly. And we know people that haven't got a vision for their life because they live carelessly. There's no sense of direction, no sense of purpose. They're off over here, off over there, uh, not good with their money, not good with their relationships, not good because they have no dream for themselves. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul speaking, says, I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was a man of great vision. God apprehended him on the road to Damascus. There was another place I had in mind when I was looking around places to travel to. Gosh, Damascus. Whoo, Syria. Gosh, these people need our prayers. The tragedy is a lot of these places have been emptied out of good Christian folk. Uh, just, uh, just incredible. But anyway, Paul was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appeared to him. And he says to Paul, 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 why do you persecute me? What was he doing? He was persecuting the church. You see, when somebody persecutes the church, Jesus takes it personally, because the church is the body of Christ. And so God called Paul, Jesus called him, apprehended him. He was sitting on some animal. He fell right off. He had such an encounter and that encounter le left an indelible mark on Paul's life. And that's what stirred in him to the very day that he went to heaven. I pressed towards the goal for the price of the upper call. Number three, everything starts with a dream. This world that was created out of a dream that God had. You were created primarily out of a dream that God had. God knew you before you were born. And most likely, 
that when your parents had a dream about you, then, you know, they brought you forth. I mean, praise God. But, you know, sometimes it's been said that there's probably such a thing as accidental parents, but there's no such thing as an accidental child. There's no such thing as an accidental uh, baby. God knew that baby before baby was conceived. And it's amazing that sometimes people are born in less than ideal circumstances, in less than ideal environment, but a dream that God's placed in there that stirs away. And if they know to follow that dream, it's amazing what God is able to do. Just amazing. So everything starts with a dream. Ephesians 1.18, Paul's speaking, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can see something of the future that he's called you to share. I'm praying that God would enlighten, illuminate the eyes of your heart. Not just your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart, so you can see what God's prepared for you. And it is my prayer, and it is our prayer, that we're going to see more clearly as we journey through those 40 days and lay a hold of an understanding what our spiritual gifts are and where God wants us to function so that toing and froing and that careless living stops right there. And the people don't get unsettled when they're in a valley. Sometimes people start making decisions when they're in a valley, and they're not good decisions. You make decisions when you're on the mountaintop, when you're good with God and feeling good about yourself rather than when you're feeling bad about yourself. To mine comes a message that I preached a number of years ago, many years ago now. And I think if I, my memory serves me correctly, I said there's five things that I will never do when I'm feeling the blues. And one of those is I'm not making decisions that are of, of a, a kind of a impacting decisions when I'm not feeling good. Because I'm liable to make the wrong decision. That your hearts will be flooded with light, Paul prayed, that you can see something of the future that God has called you to. Number four, dreams can show what God wants to do through me. Dreams can show what God wants to do through me. When I'm thinking back, God's called me to preach the gospel. And God specifically instructed me that I was to preach the whole council. Sometimes people specialize in one area and in another area. God's called me to, you know, to teach the whole thing across the board. Though we emphasize certain things over and over and over again. When I think back, even before I was in ministry, even before, even before I was uh, born again, uh, if indeed I got born again ar around age 20, 21, when I met uh, you know, my, my wife, when I met Vanessa, even before then, I was already preaching in my heart. What went on in my heart, I recognized that I was already, there was already a preach stirring in those days. It's amazing. So certain things before people are even born again, God's already placed things in their hearts to maneuver them and to drive them towards God's perfect will. And when our will and God's will collide, then hopefully what's excessive of the flesh falls away and only God's dream remains. Genesis 41, verse 32. Here's Joseph speaking to Pharaoh. And God had given Pharaoh two dreams. And for those of you that have read through that passage, you will know that it was to do with the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine and how God wanted them to prepare. That they had to save during the famine, uh, during the years of plenty, so that 
they were able to get through the famine. Um, and Pharaoh had this dream, and he couldn't understand it. He asked his servants, does, it, does anybody tell me, can anybody tell me the dream? And they said, no, we can't do it. We just can't figure it out. And there was a man there that had been in prison uh, for some time. Uh, I believe it was the baker or the butler of one or the other. In fact, uh, Pharaoh had placed both of them uh, into prison, and they ended up meeting Joseph there, a young man who was gifted in the area of interpreting dreams. In fact, he was a highly gifted man, a man with a fantastic heart. And uh, Joseph interpreted the dream to these two guys and came to pass exactly as he said. And as Pharaoh is demanding that somebody explain the dream to him, this man said, oh, I know somebody that can interpret the dream for you. He's a man by the name of Joseph, and he's in prison. But he said, bring him out. So Joseph comes before Pharaoh. They tied him up a little bit. Pharaoh retells the dream. And now Joseph is like telling him what the dream meant, and then he's prophesying. And out of that came one of the major careers that God had determined for Joseph, he ended up becoming virtually the prime minister of Egypt. Amazing. Talk about a, a story from the, from the dungeon to the palace. One prophetic dream. And friends, prophetic dreams and prophetic understanding is not just good for the church environment, the four walls. When you go to work on a Monday or in your environment, whether, whether that's work or whether that's in a club or whether that's you're mixing and mingling, speak prophetically could open up all sorts of wonderful doors for you. Because people recognize, they, Pharaoh recognized there was something on that boy called Joseph that was going to be good for the nation. And absolutely it was. And here it is. Uh, Joseph says to Pharaoh, God has given you two dreams to let you know what he has definitely decided to do this and that he will do it soon. It's happening soon. And this is what's happening. And, you know, sometimes God, in fact, for me personally, I ignore most of my dreams that I dream at nighttime. While I'm sleeping, I ignore most of them. Um, and occasionally I think, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to this. But, but otherwise, I'm allowing God to stir my heart to do daydreaming and things that God wants us to step into and things that God wants us to do. So here, God showed to Pharaoh and actually showed it to Joseph what those dreams meant and what God wanted to do through them. In all reality, Pharaoh's job was only to appoint Joseph and Joseph took care of the rest. He was gifted in the area of leadership, gifted in the area of organization. He was a man with vision, a man with ability. He was a man with an excellent heart. Just what an inspiring story. So number five, my dreams define me. See, your dream defines you. And my dream defines me. And sometimes people think, that, uh, you know, everybody's got to have a massive dream like, say, you know, big people that we know of down through history, uh, statespeople or conquerors or who knows. You know, we speak about Napoleon and various other people and say, well, my dream is not that big. Well, whatever the dream is in your heart, you treasure it and you pursue it. And sometimes our dream is specific to the calling that God has called us to. And uh, sometimes, you know, there's sometimes ladies get a bit discouraged and saying, oh, you know, I'm just all stuck with the kids. And, uh, and uh, well, you have a dream to bring up those kids that they will impact the world. You think about the mother of the Wesley brothers. 
two brothers specifically. There was about eight kids. Uh, I'm not sure they all were brothers. But John Wesley and Charles Wesley were brought up by their mother, and she instilled values into their lives and helped to shape the dream that they treasured in their heart. When God called them, they impacted the world. And we're still singing songs today, some of the hymns that were written by, I believe it was Charles. I mean, he was just a very prolific writer, just amazing. So follow that dream. It's been said that uh, as a missionary that came home from the mission field, and he was so discouraged because all he managed to do, get one convert after years and years of missionary work. He says, I give up. I think I failed. But that one convert, one multiplied thousands and thousands and thousands of people in his own nation. So don't ever downplay what God may want to do with a seed that you sow and time that you give when you don't see the fruit that you might have envisaged. Don't allow yourself to get discouraged. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, our dreams, our ambitions, and even our self-talk define us who we really are. It's just self-talk. What's, what sort of, what are you saying to yourself all day long? As he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what I mentioned earlier on. I had some self-talk going on in my, in my head, just inside. You would have not known on the outside. I had some self-talk going on that was unhealthy. And that's when I read or found out that within 25 days, you can change a thought pattern. So I'm going to focus on this deal. I'm going to break the power of this thing in 25 days, using the Word of God, putting the Word in, and breaking that thought pattern and those trains, those neural paths. So again, uh, our dreams, our ambitions, our self-talk define who we are. So dream a big dream. You see, big people are determined by their big dream. And sometimes people with small smallness are determined by their small dreams or by no dream. But get a dream and get a good one, get a big one. Number six a dream keeps me growing. I talked before about the mountaintops, but what about the valley experiences? And we all have them. And sometimes to get from one mountaintop to the next, it typically involves that we have to, you know, we have to go through a valley. And, you know, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Before God can take us from one mountaintop to the next, God's got to deal with the pride in our heart, with the arrogance, the things that we, that we, where we say, I can do it myself when we need God's help to move us into what God's determined for us. You know, God hasn't placed us on this earth to suck oxygen out of the air. God's placed us on this earth to get saved first and foremost, and then to use the spiritual gift to help to build God's kingdom and to get behind the mission of reaching people. And in the process, God empowers us to, to bring peace into our lives, peace into our heart, peace into our home. And God establishes the kingdom, which is, what does the word say? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Philippians 3 verse 12, and again, Paul's still speaking. He says, I do not mean that I'm already as God wants me to be. This is most amazing. Paul the apostle, Paul the elder, Paul the aged, getting to near the end of his life. If there was ever a super saint, he's it. If there ever was one, he would have been it. And he gets near the end of his life and he says, I don't quite think that I'm there where God wants me to be. He says, I have not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it and make it mine. So in other words, Paul is still out there. <laughs> Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason he made me or he made me his. And then he says, brothers and sisters, I know that I have not yet reached that goal. But there's one thing I always do, forgetting the past and straining towards what lies ahead. Just a pearl of wisdom right there. Forgetting the past and straining ahead. He says, I keep trying to reach the goal and get the price for what God called me through Christ Jesus to the life above. Everybody say the life above. Sometimes people are so involved and so busy with the life below here on the earth that they forget about the life above. And I usually say, let's live life from an eternal perspective. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are less than enjoyable. But if we do them with the right attitude, there will be rewards not only in this life, but in the life above. Verse 15, all of us who are spiritually mature should think this way too. So Paul, like, set an example for us. Say, come on, guys, let's press on. Don't get discouraged. Don't let yourself, uh, you know, like, get depressed and thinking that, you know, God has forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. God knows exactly who you are. He knows where you live, and he's got a plan. Number seven, a dream focuses my energy. 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Still Paul speaking, he says, So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. He says, I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. So in colloquial English, we would say, Don't muck around, Paul. He says, I'm not mucking around. Every step I take, I take it with purpose. I know where I'm going. I fight to win. I'm in this thing. And you know, the fight that we're in is a marathon run. It's not a quick sprint where after 100 meters we say we're done. We stay in the race and we fight to win. Paul calls it the fight of faith. Number eight, and I'm moving quickly now. A dream stretches my faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, according to your faith will it be done to you. You see, friend, your faith and my faith strengthens us to keep on headed towards the goal, towards the dream that God has placed before us. Sometimes we see aspects of it coming to pass sooner or, uh, and others later, but we just keep on pressing on. So really, the whole faith here, in fact, the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Number nine, a dream keeps me going in tough times. Job chapter 6, verse 11. Here's Job speaking. He says, But I do not have the strength to endure. I do not have a goal that encourages me to carry on. 
And there's a truth in that alone, friends. When we have a goal that we're aiming for, even in the valley experience, and in times when we're not quite seeing what God wants us to see, and before we climb the next mountain and take on the next challenge, Job said, I'm giving up. I don't have the strength to carry on because I haven't got a goal. But if he had set a goal, he would have kept going. Of course, in the end, he bounced out of it, and God blessed his life afterwards twice as much is what he had before. Job is actually not a sad story. It's quite a marvelous story of God's restoration in the life of a man that does not give up, though he felt like giving up many times. So the dreams, they keep us going in tough times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 8, let me read this to you. Paul speaking, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul spoke about the revelation that he carried. He spoke about the, the gospel that God has placed into his life and the burden to establish the church in that part of the world and so forth. And he says, we got a treasure, but it's not of us. We have it in earthen vessels, but it's not an earthen thing. It's a heavenly thing. It's a heavenly dream. You know, if you read through the book of Hebrews, and I'm sure it's chapter 12, the Bible says that Jesus went through everything he went through for the joy that was set before him, and that was to bring many sons into glory. That when he looked at the cross and at that ordeal that he had to go through, he was not excited. He struggled and he wrestled with this thing. And out in the Garden of Gethsemane, the pressure was so hard that the Bible says he even sweated drops of blood under the intensity of what he knew was coming. And he said, he says, if I wanted to get out, he says, I call on my father and he will send 12 legions of angels to get me out of this. But he says, for this purpose was I brought forth. And that purpose was that Jesus will die on the cross, pay the price for our sins. So if we surrender our life to him, we'd be born again. So for the joy that was set before him, there's something about joy that is set before us that keeps us going, something about a dream, something about a purpose. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. You know, there were times in my life and in the ministry, uh, particularly in the early days, it's like, gosh, you just feel like battered from all directions and uh, occasionally we get around some of the colleagues and get into a conference or something and what do you feel in your heart is I'm not quite sure I'm not sure if I'm feeling anything I just need to know that I need to keep going and sometimes it's like you know it's like we can almost get upset where other people are very purposeful about everything that they do and so I can't really see anything but I, all I know is that I need to keep going right now and that's the times when we might be in a valley, but we will climb out. And maybe this 40-day campaign is an opportunity for you to climb out of a valley. Do something fresh. Do something different. Make a commitment. Stretch yourself beyond your own level of comfort. Because God hasn't called us to a life of comfort. He's called us to a life of purpose. So where are we? Oh, that's right, hard-pressed on every side. Paul is just telling us how he felt. 
You know, when people don't like you and people speak against you and, and, uh, and people even criticize what you do and some of you, perhaps your family is not that all encouraging concerning you serving God and being in the church and everything. Let them say what they say. Just don't you discourage yourself and don't you speak badly to yourself. Just tell yourself and telling God you're following a dream. God's placed that dream into your heart. Number 10, a great dream inspires others to dream. Proverbs 11, verse 27. If your goal is good, you will be respected. But if you're looking for trouble, that is what you will get. If you have a good dream and a great dream, and we keep on pursuing it, people will in the end realize that this is of God. You know, sometimes when people get saved, and it's an interesting thing, but sometimes people are sort of out of a family of Christian heritage and, and Christian um, people there, which is wonderful. It's just the right thing to do. But when somebody gets saved out of the middle of generations of heathens and pagans, and who knows, idol worshipers or self-worshippers, it's very difficult for these people because everybody watches them. It's, oh, is that a new fad? I wonder how long that's going to last. But you just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. And after a while, they will realize that it's real. And they're watching your life. They mightn't say so. But people in the end will respect you for sticking to, to the calling that God's placed on your life. Number 11, self-discipline will be rewarded in heaven. We're just... Getting ready to close now. 1 Corinthians 9.25. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. There will be a reward, my friend. God does not forget your labor of love. God does not forget your sowing and your giving and giving off yourself, and giving off your time, and giving off your energy. God does not forget. Keep doing what you know you need to do. And sometimes we don't always see the rewards immediately in this life, but God has definitely got things lined up for us when we get into eternity, where we will spend time forever. That's why it's called eternity. Number 12, God-given dreams are a function of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I still haven't made up my mind if I'm a young man or an old man. So I'll have both. I'll have visions and I'll have dreams. Holy Spirit visions, Holy Spirit dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So the ability to dream dreams is a function of the Holy Spirit, but they're not just dreamed dreams at nighttime while we sleep, but day dreams where God wants to impart something into our lives to move us forward, forward into his purposes for us. And so we come to the end of our message here today. My friend, uh, let me encourage you again. Do not be the missing piece in this puzzle that God's placing together. Do not be the missing gift that is needed in order for the body of Christ to fully function. It's been said that, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, when a member does not supply their function, Jesus feels the paralysis because that member is not moving like it should 
is, for example, say if a knee's not working properly or an elbow is not working properly or one of the organs is not working properly. Let's all get on board. Let's do this thing together. We're launching out. The train has departed. Are you on board? And if you haven't signed up for a small group, get down the back and place your name there and let's do this thing. Let's step out. Uh, just a very few things that in to kind of uh, describe what the homework looks like this week. Each day, uh, read at least one chapter of the book of Acts. Let's read through the book of Acts together. What an inspiring story. Some of the things that we spoke about this morning in the life of Paul there, it's all described right there. And if some of you are really reading a lot and fast, you can swing into the book of Ephesians because we looked at that as well this morning. Uh, but just to do a minimum of one chapter a day, get into a regular habit of reading the Word every day. Then secondly, in your small groups, watch and discuss video lesson number one, uh, which is called the number one open doors, the door to a new you. And that's all lined up, and your small group uh, hosts have got it all prepared and ready for you. You be sure to be there. And then number three, memorize this verse of Scripture here, this promise where God says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus speaking, he says, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. The door of opportunity is open. No man can shut it, but please step through it. And number four, next weekend we're discussing as to how we can know when a dream is from God. As I say, if we look back, we know certain dreams were not of God, but others were, and we want to learn what the difference is so we can move forward safely. Let's bow our heads as we close in a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for opening a door of opportunity before us, that this campaign of 40 days of spiritual growth, we are on day number one. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this.